as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today on the podcast, we talked with Jesse Meekum and Taylor Brown of You Need a Budget. And they shared their strategies for taking a product with broad appeal and segmenting it down into different verticals. We also learned a lot about how they're deliberate about their culture and their hiring process, especially with a distributed team. Hey guys, I wanted to take a minute to thank Codeship for sponsoring the show. Codeship makes continuous deployment simple and easy. 
and we've actually been happy customers of theirs for a very long time. You should go to codeship.io slash rocketship to check out videos and tutorials all about how you can start using Codeship to deploy your product in a better way. We'd also like to thank Envision app. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. I can personally say I can't imagine delivering another design comp without it. It made collaborating with our entire team incredibly easy, and the annotation tool alone saved us hours of back and forth. Go to envisionapp.com forward slash rocketship and sign up to get their starter plan free for 90 days. This comes complete with unlimited screens and unlimited collaborators. Trust me, this is an essential tool for teams of all sizes. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here with Jesse Meacham, the CEO of You Need a Budget, and we're also joined with Taylor Brown, the CTO. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Good to be so, here. Tell us a little bit about how you guys got started. Um, I I started the company when I was really poor, and I started it because I needed to cover an income gap and try and make it through schooling with a little baby and a new wife. So um, that was back in 2004. Taylor, you, you came on. We figured this out the other day, and now I've forgotten again. I think <laughs> early, early 2006. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, you'd been, so. yeah, you'd been going at it a little over a year, I guess. Yeah, about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then um, Taylor came on as a contractor, and, and he and I launched um, the first version. Well, the first version was a spreadsheet, but the second version that was standalone software of, of our product, um, we launched November of 06 mm-hmm. on my mother-in-law's birthday because <laughs> that just happened to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, that was our launch date. And then, yeah, I found, um, go ahead, go ahead. Well, you, you came on full time after I got you away from the video games. So that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was a video game developer for a while while I was working with Jesse and I found Jesse, I found YNAB because I wanted a budget at the time and I liked his spreadsheet and liked his message. He wrote pretty good sales copy and, um, I asked him if he wanted any help with it. And so. He said, yeah, but I don't want it to be a spreadsheet anymore. So we kind of took it from there. That's awesome. I love that story, too, because, um, you know, when you hear about someone who builds something for themselves, a lot of times it just kind of becomes this side project or a hobby. When did you realize that this is something that was kind of bigger than just your own needs? Was there like some light bulb moment that went off for you? Yeah, I I wish. It wasn't very visionary. It was it was more. I had to convince myself. I, I had been trained and I'm fairly risk averse. So my whole idea was get my accounting degree, get my CPA license, get a steady job, you know, that type of thing. And um, I originally launched in end of 2004 and didn't know a thing about anything. But um, I think I realized it finally at least had interesting side income benefits Um about when Taylor came on because I was able to afford uh, to, to fund that project. And then once we launched um, end of 06 with that first uh, piece of software, um, I was actually making more from the side business than I was from my full-time 80-hour-a-week job. So the light bulb was like this slow flicker. And like for anyone else, they would have seen it immediately, but I was so blind to it, it took me longer than it should have. Well, I, I went full time before you did, didn't I? Uh, yeah, I'm, I always had kind of side stuff going on, you know. So yeah. 
I kind of made this my sole, sole focus, gosh, probably 2009 or something like that. Um, but yeah, there's always been other stuff, but I, I've kind of calmed down. I'm not quite so ADD when it comes to things now. So, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a bit about what you need a budget looks like today? Uh, yeah, we've, we, um, last year we did about four, just over 4 million in revenue, uh, selling desktop software. Uh, it's a one-time purchase for 60 bucks. And then every couple of years we sell an upgrade usually for about $40 and we see a pretty good upgrade rate from people. Um, the team is split about 50, 50 between part and full time. We've got, uh, 26 people hiring three more. Um, a marketer, a designer, and a Postgres developer, if anyone hears this and is interested. Uh, <laughs> and we uh, all spread over, the in, just from Australia, um, clear over to California, and everywhere in between. So uh, we're all remote, and that seems to be working pretty well for us. So something that you're doing recently is trying to take a product that could work for most people, budgeting software, and... Um, market it to, to certain niches to see if that would, uh, would work out better for you guys. Can you talk a bit about what's working there? Yeah. So my thought, I mean, if you go to our main website and land on the homepage, the headline says gain total control of your money. And underneath we have this sub headline, stop living paycheck to paycheck, get out of debt and save more money. Um, that, that message resonates with people, but, um, usually it doesn't re resonate with everyone all the time. And so you have to kind of find out where their thinking is and, and speak in the same language. So a couple segments that I thought were interesting based on some interviews I did a little over a year ago, um, following the jobs to be done method that you guys, if you don't, if you aren't familiar with it, anyone listening should check it out. But, um, you figure out what events drive people to your, to finally purchase. And one for us was, uh, people, getting married or at least tying things together financially. And, um, I noticed that and saw that this was kind of a moment where people would say, uh, okay, we're going to combine our finances. Um, what do we do? Like this is kind of a new territory. And so they would find us and, and buy it then. So one of my techniques that I just started was to go, uh, try and find out where newlyweds or, uh, engaged people hang out. Engaged is a little tougher because they're busy with the wedding. Um, but the newlyweds and it's been, they've been fairly responsive where we wrote a small email course and we basically talk about managing money in a partnership, you know, as a couple and, um, navigating that and, and, uh, it's, it's been received pretty well. So we're still selling the same exact software, but the message to those newlyweds has been very different. Um, that, that's one example we've, we're looking at, uh, military and speaking that language, to those guys that deploy, or, or girls that deploy and um, a lot of times they're leaving family at home. So you got two people managing finances from across the world. Those are unique challenges. But again, our tool can still answer those challenges. We just have to address those specifically and we see it resonate pretty well with those people. So what does the landscape kind of look like for each of those verticals? Uh, for example, say you do newlyweds or real estate people. Do you go ahead and create a landing page targeted just to them and then create ad campaigns around each of those yeah, and, and just um, funnel people through that way. Yeah. You, you treat it like a new business and um, it's kind of gets exciting. I think when you look at it as a, as a brand new business, cause suddenly you're saying, well, I, I create a landing page using unbounce cause I'm not technical and any technical ability I have, I've 
I'm losing because other people do it so much better for us now. So I, I do, I use unbounce and I just roll things out really fast. I don't worry about it being perfect. I got our designers sign off to not have to have it be perfect. And, um, for the sake of speed. So we can, I can roll out a landing page really fast and I can roll out ads really fast. And then I can see if the ads are getting clicks and then I can see if the landing page is converting. I look for a conversion of 15%, um, or so anything lower than that, then my ad copy is, is, uh, not doing its job or the, the landing page isn't doing its job. But, but yeah, you Where can go on a really fast, sign so up, I can right? do an entire vertical, um, in an hour and then Facebook is a great place to, you know, dip your toe in the water because you get all sorts of demographics and things and can quickly roll out ads. So is that 15% from seeing the ad all the way through to signing up? No, no, that would be a gold mine. Just <laughs> once they hit the landing page, 15% opt in to the, I think yeah, I can get it higher. I've been kind of throwing things at the wall, so I'm not even really to the optimization stage, but one little thing that's interesting is I sent, uh, realtors to a web you know to their landing page and it said gain total control of your money and the the conversion rate was like four percent right not good then i i changed the headline and said realtors gain total control of your money and the conversion rate was twelve and a half percent and everything else on the page is the same so you can see that that there's there's strength in speaking to the person and um, you just see all sorts of performance gains that way it it's tedious, but no one really should land on your homepage. Your homepage captures, you know, people with so many different intents. Um, it's, you know, you can't speak to every single person. So you really want to look at how you capture those people early on and what they're seeing that will specifically resonate with them. One of the greatest parts about what you're doing with this is the email course you've developed. You've made it or you built it in a way that it works for all these verticals and you can change the copy that gets people signed up for it, but you don't have to keep producing new content, which seems like it makes it, I mean, you said that you're rolling new ones out in about an hour. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, laziness is the only thing slowing me down on getting, getting more stuff going, but, um, you just settle for getting something out first and then you can optimize later. So if we saw that our ads were really resonating with uh, newlyweds, or let's take military because that's a, that's a real example for us. So right now I've been running ads and I'm getting military people to opt in. And I've only changed the landing page so it speaks to them, but the actual course is the same. If we see enough volume come through there, then we would maybe say, hey, it's worth our time to actually set up a separate drip campaign and track these, uh, you know, the military people specifically and see if we can bump up the conversion once they're inside the campaign because you know, you've got the click-through rate, which is a conversion rate, the opt-in rate, and then you've got your adoption rate once they're in the course. And all of those can be tweaked. The one that's the hardest to tweak is where you're, you are adding new content. So you would hope that you could tailor it but not reinvent the wheel every time you have a segment. That would You'd, you'd have a lot of wasted effort because maybe your funnel just doesn't send the volume that would, that would merit that type of work. Something that we've been working on lately is making a drip campaign of our own. And, you know, there's a lot of info out there on the best way to do it. But did you go the route of giving away information? I think you said it was a nine-part course. Did you just give, give, give in the first eight and a half emails and then mention your product at the very end? Or did you take a different approach? Uh, in this one, uh, we don't mention the product until the very end. We teach 100%. We give away all of our information. So... um 
it's like the old Franklin Covey planners where they would teach you a seminar on time management and then they would sell you a, a planner in the back of the room. Um, <laughs> at the end of the seminar, you're like, well, obviously I need this planner because these people just taught me what I need to do and they've built this planner. And it's the same thing with us. We have a very specific me- you know, method for managing your money. And you look and say, well, that method really seems sound. And these guys have built a tool to support that method specifically. The sale kind of happens automatically. But for specific tactics on the course, for some reason, ours always end up around nine days. Like, I don't know, I don't know why. People, I think our support guy, Steve, he was like, can we have the course not always be nine days? Because, you know, someone will say, hey, I didn't get day eight. And he's like, of what course? Because there's, you know, <laughs> there's like five of them. So um, he wishes we could have them all be different days. But it just happens to be, it happens to work out that way. There's no magic formula for it. And then do you send those just on business days every other day? Uh, we send them every day. Yeah, okay. we, we let them know this is a nine-day deal or whatever, and you'll get an email each day for nine days, and then we stop. Like we, I, I, don't, I don't mess around with like, oh, well, I told them nine days, but now I'll send them something else. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. We don't send them anymore. Um, one thing I do want to do at the end is, is survey them and find out more about them, more qualitative stuff, like what financial struggles do you have, and then look at those qualitative answers across different segments. I could look at the military or realtor or newlywed and read very different responses to their financial struggles, and then that would inform my ad and landing page copy better than me just guessing right now. So, Yeah, maybe you could have a a follow-up that goes out, you know, like the survey where you're checking on if they've put in strategy X, Y, Z into place yeah. yet. Kind of like, um, I think Brennan Dunn calls it his accountability courses. Mm-hmm. Um, as he sells his books, he follows up and says, hey, you're probably through chapter three about now. Have you tried this yet? No? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good idea. I'm writing that one down. Yeah, that's something I've been playing around with, uh, with ours as well, is at the end of each email putting in like at least one action item like something mm-hmm. that they should do and we're not doing any follow-up on it yet but it it would be a good opportunity to do so i think yeah and the nice thing about qualitative stuff is you don't have to have a big sample and look at statistics you can just kind of read it and let it you know let it inform you and um you find out quickly like oh this is pretty common and so i could write it in this way or oh man they're always using these words you know and then you use those words so you can really, um, yeah, it's all about just getting your message to, to resonate even better. Right. I think that's actually huge is just using the right language. And we make a lot of guesses on our end on how someone might think about something or search for something. And we're usually wrong. <laughs> so yeah. I think definitely looking for just the vocabulary that people use to describe what they're going through is, is massive. Right. I mean, you read, read a, you know, if you're going after realtors, read through a realtor forum and find words that aren't common. Like they, maybe they don't say, you know, sell a house. Maybe they say deal, you know, so you'd want to say deal or maybe they don't say commission. Maybe they say something else. And we, we just assume that and use those words and they get it, of course. But if they have someone that's literally speaking their language, it's powerful. So you guys have evolved quite a bit over the years. Like you said, you started as just a spreadsheet. Um, now your desktop application, you've gone from uh, just the two of you to uh, what now are you in the 20s with yeah. employees? 
So what's kind of next on the horizon and, and what do you see continuing to change with, with you need a budget? Taylor, you should take that one. <laughs> uh, well, one of the things that we're looking at doing, we, you know, we are desktop software, but over the past few years, we've been adding companion apps to it. So we have an iPhone app now, an Android app. Um, our iPad app is actually in private beta now, um, which is really exciting. And so all of these apps work together and, and tie into our desktop software. Um, but none of them are actually usable without the desktop software. And as we see our ecosystem grow, and especially with the tablets, um, you know, you see people that after a while they, they say, you know, look, I don't even I don't even use my computer anymore. I'd like to just access this on the iPad or, um, you know, I just I wish this was just a Web page that I could hit. So we're looking at ways that we can um, grow our ecosystem and not tie ourselves down to the desktop software specifically. Um, so one of the things that means doing is is looking at at having YNAB online and having a you know, a web app that people can hit instead. Um, and, you know, and making our, uh, uh, making our iPad app usable without necessarily using our other, uh, our other software as well. So those are a couple of things that we're looking at that, um, that people are demanding and that we're pretty darn excited about. And does that come with the change in the product or is it basically just porting it to be a web app? Um, it's a, it's it's actually a pretty big change in the product. Um, it, it would mean for the web app in particular, it means um, rewriting it from scratch. To be <laughs> to be frank, um, we had we 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 used some technology that we could probably port over if we wanted to, but long term, we think HTML is the way to go. Um, you know, instead of instead of trying to do Flash or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so um, yeah, so we're we're actually in the midst of a of a really big rewrite. Interesting. Something else mm -hmm. that I thought was interesting about you guys is that a lot of your employees, maybe not so much the developers, but a lot of your employees have been you need a budget customers. Could you talk a bit about your hiring process and, and how you make that happen? Our, our uh, first hiring process was not a process. It was just um, our, our lead teacher came to me and said, hey, I could teach these webinars for you and uh, I think it would be great. And so I said, okay, that's great. And our first support guy, Steve, he came and said, Hey, I could, I could answer support emails for you and free you up. And I said, okay, that'd be great. So there was, there wasn't really hiring. Um, but now it's, it's a whole different, <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. Um, they get bonus points if they already are a YNAB customer. But we, a lot of times we're hiring for something very specific, like this Postgres developer that, that Taylor needs. And, um, you, you know, you, you have a pretty limited pool if you're just going to your uh, users. You're looking for people that are, you know, a user of yours and looking for a job and have that skill. So it, it gets small quickly. But a lot of our support people where the skill um, could be found, you know, in a wider pool. All of our support people, huh, Taylor? have come, mm -hmm. uh, come from customers, which is I great because they know the software, they, then the training's done and that's exactly, that's nice. I mean, particularly with, with support, um, and with, with teachers, it's so nice to bring people from your existing customer base because they understand the culture of the company already. I mean, if they're, you know, if they're already hanging out in your forums or are already diehard users, you know, major fans of your software, um, you know, and, and their job is to evangelize you to other people, 
it's <laughs> there's a lot less training involved if if you don't have to tell them why you're cool. <laughs> so so that's been that's been a really helpful thing. And some of our developers too, we have found. In fact, um, a number of our first developer hires in particular um, came to us out of our existing customer base. In fact, both our Android and our iPhone developers came to us with apps that they had written because they were so excited about it. They said, gosh, I wish there was an iPhone app. And so Sebastian went off and wrote a prototype of an iPhone app, emailed it to us, and we said, yeah, this is awesome. Let's do this. And now he works with us full time. Um, and the same thing happened with our Android developer as well. That's so, awesome. Yeah, you can, you know you can get lucky, and and I mean they're fantastic developers. I mean you know it's it's not like the only thing they had going for them was enthusiasm. I mean they're they're great. Um, so yeah, when you have a scenario like that, it's it's fantastic. There's so much less that you that you have to convey to somebody, or you don't have to get them excited about the work. They're already excited about the work. So so that's been that's been great. I love it when we do when we do get applicants that. They tick all the boxes from a technical perspective, you know, because I'm always doing the technical hires. If they tick all those boxes and they're a YNAB user, it's a it's fantastic for us. Yeah. So, what would you say is the most difficult part of managing a distributed team like you have? Well, we try like a different way of collaborating. It seems like every other day. Yeah. But uh, we, Inf- yeah, information dissemination is a big yeah. one. Um, that's you know, if you're in an office and. I mean, you know, you're not trying to keep secrets, but if you're, you know, if you, if you were having a conversation with uh, with somebody in the hallway or something like that, and you know, someone else can overhear, or I don't know, you're in your daily sit down meeting, or you know, however you want to do it, it, at a certain team size, information's just a little bit easier if you're all there together, or it's just really easy to get up and walk to the other guy's desk or whatever. But on a remote team, especially when we're spread out a- across time zones, um, that's one thing where you know, uh, someone won't intend to keep information from somebody else, but, you know, somebody just won't have a natural way of discovering that. And it's information that you'd like everybody to have. So we try to solve that through, you know, having, um, being more cognizant of it and telling people when there's important things to tell people. Um, but, you know, you'll forget. And then we also, um, we have our uh, meeting, our hangout every two weeks where we bring literally everybody that we can you know, in the same Google Hangout, and some people are up at six in the morning, and other people are about to go to bed. But, um, you know, we try to do that just to keep to keep everybody on the same page a little bit, and that helps. But it's it's definitely information dissemination is a major major challenge for us. Yeah, we do a meetup every year or or so where we all get together in one spot. This year's Costa Rica, which is going to be way fun, and that that helps a ton. It's like you, you recharge everyone's tank as far as interaction and culture. And then it seems to last a while. Um, so I'm excited for that. That'll be in November. And, um, that's, I think that's critical. I used to think, Oh yeah, getting together. I don't know. It felt kind of like this warm and fuzzy thing, but it's, it's adds legitimate value to the culture and and to the team. So I'm a big fan of it now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where are you guys going in Costa Rica? Taylor, do you know? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't remember. It's Likely being taken we care of. We know that. People that are better than us are taking care yeah, we, of Yeah, there, there's an agency that's kind of running with it for us. So yeah. Nice. It looks beautiful in the pictures. Though. Yeah, it's a Marriott. It's a, it's a Marriott that's down there kind of in the center. Um, that's all we know. But. Yeah, you guys will have a ton of fun. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah, like Jesse said, those have been, those have been awesome. And, yeah. and those are a good way to keep everybody 
keep team morale up and and you know there's a number of times when when we have these meetups people are meeting each other for the first time i mean they might have chatted with each other on hip chat or they might have skyped with each other or seen each other on the hangout but for a lot of people this is their first time face to face with somebody so i mean that's invaluable you know from a team perspective yeah yeah it really is i mean culture is so important uh and so difficult to maintain mm. even when you're in the same place um i can imagine it's difficult when you're distributed but it sounds like you guys are figuring things out pretty well so well, we, awesome. we were at a was it business of software taylor it was business of software yeah and that guy I, don't, I wish i could tell him his name because he really helped us out and I, I can't remember his name now but he talked about culture and i remember just having this this reaction of like oh culture i felt like i was in an, an ob class and i felt like it was just a bunch of you know fluff and then he kind of, I don't know what it was, but he just basically said, you get to decide what kind of company you have, you know, that you work for. And that was all it of Jason a sudden was, Cohen? It wasn't Jason. It was, okay. I can't remember who it was. But no um, it, it ended up just, I realized like, oh, I get to design this. Like I get to design the company like we design software. And mm-hmm. it has to be intentional or you'll get something. But you, if you don't, you know, if you're unintentional about it, then it, it, it will be whatever it is. And so that was kind of my revelation and Taylor was on board. And so we, we developed a cultural questionnaire for our hiring that we use. That's a fantastic filter. Um, the way we write our job descriptions, those, uh, filter, you know, just on their own. Um, so we, it's working where we're, we're getting people. I feel like as we're having to grow the team, we're still getting people that fit in really well and uh, that keep the culture the way we like it. So it, it's a big deal, and you got to be intentional about it, or it'll just be whatever it is, and that'd be sad. Yeah, it's like so that. We, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, we weed out a lot of people on culture alone. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's a little bit frustrating sometimes as a technical guy when, when an applicant ticks all the technical boxes, and it's either obvious from their cultural questionnaire or their, uh, uh, or their, online interview, you know, because we do a video interview with them too, before we meet them face to face. Um, you know, when it's obvious, they're not going to be a good cultural fit. You know, it's kind of frustrating. because it's like, oh man, this guy would have been perfect technically. But yeah, you just, that's one of those things you just cannot shortcut. Yeah. We had, we had a guy that technically was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And then we, we did interviews over Skype, still great. And then we met him face to face and it was like nope and it's so frustrating because you feel like oh this is the guy and you want to hire somebody because you need it really bad and yeah it it takes a while but you got to be patient with it you just you can't settle we got kyle that was our Mm -hmm. latest hire right Mm -hmm. and um, we waited forever to get him and now we're it was months you know so you just got to be patient what's an example or two of a a red flag culture wise that someone wouldn't be a good fit for you guys in our one of the go ahead closet, Jesse. in our i've been reading these questionnaires because this marketing position we're hiring for so i've been it's on my mind and one of the questions we ask is uh, okay you're alone no one else is around you're in charge of customer service someone writes in with the following email and we make the email fairly mean um you know the customers being pretty mean kind of mad they're mad that they missed the cutoff to get an upgrade for free by a few days and what the heck and i'm so ticked off so we set them up with an angry customer, and then we look at their response. Um, if you have them respond back with something like, I'll check with management, then that's, <laughs> to me, a red flag. Yeah. Or, um, hey, let's, let's, um, we can work this out. What do you propose? Where they kind of 
put it back on the customer. Mm-hmm. Not as big a deal, but I'm like, uh, if you if you have someone that and I'm giving this away, we'll have to change our question now. But yeah, we will. If, yeah. if you have someone that says, hey, we'll give it to you for free, no problem. Like, you know, turn a turn a complainer or a you know a person that's upset. You turn them into a fan. Uh, that's big. That's that's the right answer for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it probably is for any company, but we, we're actually serious about it. So I'll weed out people that I, when I see them right back, even though they're not being hired for customer service, but just right. you want to see how they respond to an angry customer. Do they, are they proactive? Are they, are they casual? empathetic? Are they empathetic? Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you get a number of people that are, you know, maybe they, I don't know, they really want to stick to their guns and stick to the rule and they lay it out really clearly why, why we have a policy in place, you know. Ooh, and the bad word. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, you're sympathetic for these people, the the applicants, too, because maybe that's the culture they're coming from. It's just and I'm not saying that can't be taught. It could be. But it's it's just nicer when you're looking <laughs> for their instinct. Right. Yeah. yeah. Where do they go first? And it's like, you know what? They missed it by two days. I'd be ticked off if I were them, too. In the greater scheme of things, let's make this customer happy. That's the right answer. So, yeah, yeah. there's that's a lot funny. you can read into this. That, like that's that. one red flag. And um, being really formal is another one for me. If I see a cover letter that's really formal, to whom it may concern, I would. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna not read it. I have a hard time not reading them. I'm, but it, it little things like that. Where I think, oh, this person's not. I don't know if they feel like we're not casual, even though our job description is extremely casual. But I like to see just the the tone in their overall email and things like that. Yeah, something that that we're real into is custom applications, um, whether it's making a website or something else that's totally tailored for that position that matches the culture. It shows that you, um, understand what you're applying for. Have you ever gotten any of those? I, I'm, uh, I, I've never even asked for them and we haven't really seen anything. Okay. Yesterday I almost, I almost, uh, archived a cover letter and then I scroll. It was long. There were big paragraphs. I was like, I was probably on the 30th one. So I was getting tired. And then I get to this uh, plan, like a, a marketing plan. And the guy's like, this is just free, but here are my thoughts. And I was awesome. So <laughs> if I were applying to YNAB's marketing position, I would just apply with like, here's my plan. Yeah. Because I, I was eating that up. Like I, I was like, I got to call this guy, you know, and he just stood out. I was so glad I scrolled all the way because his cover letter almost, you know, he kind of shot himself in the foot with it. But man, did he come back <laughs> with some really applicable stuff that was demonstrating, you know, how he thinks and what he would do specifically. And, you know, you're, you're not saying words like excellence and this and that and tactical. You're just saying like, well, you want to get into the small business market. I would do ABC specific thing, you know? Yeah. Even if they're wrong, the fact that it's throwing out specifics is such a breath of fresh air. So mm-hmm. and I, we do get, um, on the technical end, it's, um, I would say it's rare, but occasionally you do get people that, I mean, they get super excited about the position and they'll write, uh, like when we were hiring for a JavaScript developer, we got one or two uh, little custom applications that people wrote to demonstrate, like, here's how I would implement YNAB in Ember, because that's what we were hiring for specifically. Um, or here, you know, here's how I'd implement YNAB online. And they had a little prototype app that I could click around on and type numbers into and stuff. And so... You know, that's that certainly certainly gets my attention when we see stuff like that. That's awesome. And I, to go back to what you were saying about um, making culture intentional, 
I just love that as a perspective and a lesson for really everything that you do with your company and every mm-hmm. decision you make for not only the people that you work with, but the product itself and how you talk about the product and how you look at the business that you're running, just making sure everything that you do is intentional. And mm-hmm. I just love that as maybe a round out lesson of this whole conversation. I like that. That's it. I like it too. Yeah. The, so, uh, uh, the, the culture was a, was, was a particularly was, was major light bulb moment for both of us. Um, yeah. 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 I know it really was. We, we got our start building something that we needed and we didn't think much about, uh, building a business around it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of bit us as we've gone further along that we didn't make deliberate decisions around various aspects of the product or the company. Um, and you realize that you need to, you need to, to treat it like what you want it to be and make that happen. Cause nobody else is going to, otherwise it's, it's out of your hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll, it'll morph into something that you probably don't, don't like at the end. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's well, true. thank you guys for coming on. This has been fantastic. Yeah, hopefully you guys, I mean, hopefully the listeners pull something out of it that they can implement. Yeah, so. absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure they will. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. And uh, for anyone who's not familiar, uh, can you tell us where we can keep up with you guys online? Uh, yeah, our, our website where you can completely revolutionize the way you think about your money is uneedabudget.com or, or YNAB if you're busy. And, um, and then I'm on Twitter at Jesse Meekham, J-E-S-S-E-M-E-C-H-A-M. Um, Taylor, you don't tweet a whole lot. You're working. So, but I'm there is uh, the yeah. T-H-E-T-A-Y, T-A-Y. All right. Thanks guys. You bet. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the rocket ship podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. She